Welcome to Data Science Perspectives. This series focuses on analytics and data science professionals from across industry to learn about how their career unfolded, what skills they look for when hiring, and what trends they think are coming next. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of Data Science Perspectives. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Today, I'm going to be joined by Mano Manachar. He's the Chief Data Analytics Officer at Travelers. He and I met a number of years back when he was at GE here in Atlanta, and I was still with the International Institute for Analytics. I remember from our uh, first meeting, our conversation just flowed, and I've enjoyed touching base with him uh, every time I've chatted with him ever since. As I mentioned, he's currently the SVP and Chief Data Analytics Officer for Travelers. In this role, he's helping travelers move their data analytics initiatives, as well as the associated technology stacks forward. This includes incorporating newer uh, methodologies such as AI across different parts of the business. Prior to Travelers, he was the CIO of both the GE Transportation and GE Energy units based here in Atlanta. And before heading to GE, he had spent nearly 20 years at John Deere after his initial roles in consulting. He finished at Deere as the Global Director of Data Analytics and Enterprise Architecture. And during that time, he helped build out a wide range of uh, software, data, and analytics capabilities. He has a bachelor's in computer engineering from University of Kansas and an executive MBA from Northwestern University's highly respected Kellogg School of Management. And with that, let's welcome Mano to the show. Well, hey, Mano, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Of course, Bill. Excited to be here. So I always like to start and find out a little bit about how people got into the world of data analytics, and everyone has their own path. I know that uh, you know in your early career and, and academically, you had more of a, a CS and traditional IT role, but over the years, you drifted further and further into the area of data analytics. So how did that, uh, how did that progression happen, and was it intentional or lucky? Uh, I, I think it was more by coincidence, I would say, a couple of uh, uh, turns in my career, including the early education, which I'll get into here in a second as well. Uh, I, I think it all started with back, at, I think it was about 2008 or so, I was at John Deere and uh, leading some of the early versions of the telematics platforms and building out some of their uh, customer solutions. And uh, I think within short, you know, two or three years after we had launched the product, uh, we realized that oh my God, we've got hundreds of billions of records that have come in, you know, from the machines and the fleets worldwide that, uh, you know, we were instantly drowning in data, so to speak, right? And and really had to quickly uh, dive into and start to figure out how to manage that volume of data. Uh, and of course, more importantly, how do we get the right insights back in the customer and dealer's hands? Uh, so I think that really got me started, you know, from, uh, from a more of a software engineering background up until then, back into kind of the analytics and data and AI and machine learning type of things that we then uh, have to apply to that large volumes of data. So I think that would be one data point. Uh, Other one, maybe not so obvious one, back into my early days of education, uh, after completing my computer engineering degree, I went on to actually uh, do my master's in digital signal processing. Uh, which basically meant that you were working with common filters and you guessed it, neural networks. <laughs> so yeah, I still recall my master's project uh, was actually identifying uh, air, aircrafts based on their 
radar return signals and you know had to develop a uh, a three-layer, you know, uh, neural network from hand at the time, and uh, uh, unfortunately, I never actually got to finish the project and graduate from the program. Uh, you know, my dad reminded me when he was still alive, it's like, "Hey, you should have done that." And he was like, "Well, I learned everything there was to learn. <laughs> never actually finished the degree itself." Uh, it seems like you've turned out okay after all, though, luckily, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I, I reminded him of that. It's like, I think turned, yeah. things have turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've worked for a couple of, of super large and well-respected companies, obviously, and, and now, you know, you're, you're the more uh, senior roles. What's your approach to getting some of the, the, both on the technical side in terms of your team, but then the business partner side and even your technology partner sides, getting people to embrace and and make the changes necessary to go to that next level with your data analytics? Yeah, I would say maybe just a stepping back on that and and really start to, you know, shift the, the conversation more so than, hey, this is about, you know, better, making better operational decisions through analytics and data. That's what typically everybody kind of jumps to saying, oh, yeah, if, you know, if we had more data, we could make better management decisions, better operational decisions. But I think it's it's starting the conversation around, you know, the opportunity that the latest set of technologies and data um, it, it represents is it's all about actually rethinking and reimagining every part of our daily work right across across a business. So so I think you've got to really start with that saying, hey, you know, this isn't about making a, a operational decision about whether or not whether or not to launch a product and, and doing, you know, uh, anal analyzing customer and segmentation data. This is more about, hey, I can actually optimize different parts of my business. I can actually build advisory tools for the front lines of the organization that through which not only is the efficiency of the transactions, which is really technologies played a role for the longest time, uh, but I can actually link daily decisions to optimizing my business results and optimizing the outcomes of each of those transactions, right? So it, it's a reset on the why first, that, hey, we've got an opportunity now to reimagine, rethink, you know, how business gets done on a daily basis. Every business has got, you know, millions, tens of thousands of micro decisions being made, being able to present that next best action to the frontline worker who's uh, interacting with a customer or, or an entity or, or you know, having to make a small decision on a daily basis, how do we inform that? And of course, you know, once you have come to that realization, then of course, you've got to start with, you know, figure out where to start, right? You know, what, what's going to be our overall strategy and what would that look like? And so, so certainly we can get more into that, but that, that, that's where I typically, you know, uh, would, would think about, right? Saying, Hey, it's, it's doing that reset saying, Hey, how big of an opportunity this represents for us in the next decade, so to speak, right? So, okay. Well, then tied to that, maybe you get that buy-in. I know you've you've been involved in putting together teams to go after you know innovation-based initiatives or innovation-focused initiatives over the years. So, what uh, what's your strategy in in terms of how you would set up such a team and then and then manage that team so that those innovations mm -hmm. can have the best chance of succeeding? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think about that as kind of maybe a, a, a two-pronged strategy. Uh, one, of course, is you've got to ground yourself in your business opportunities, challenges, you know, uh, burning platforms, or whatever you want to call it, right? And, and, and say, hey, 
you know, what what are if if we think about that leg of the the, the two prongs or you know the, that that uh, I'm going to mention, that has to be all about proof of value use cases. What are some early wins that we can go after uh, that that can start to solidify you know the, the strategy that that we're going after and 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 really inform. Um, you know, what we could do at scale eventually, right? So, so I think it's defining those early wins, proof of value programs. Uh, and of course, you want to engage your stakeholders and your business partners there, uh, especially the ones that are excited about it. <laughs> so as part of that journey, right, you got you to figure out who your uh, close allies are going to be and, and, and what are the business problems for them you could go after. I think in any of these programs, the second leg ends up being uh, really understanding the technology triggers and barriers that you're going to be working through, because inevitably, as you start this journey, um, you know the excitement really comes from the fact that there are technology triggers on the horizon that you can take advantage of that in the past haven't been. And of course, if you're in the data and AI field, it, it you know some of these are going to center around that, right? Saying, hey. It's the opportunity to be able to leverage the scale of the cloud, right? It's the opportunity to be able to leverage the latest and greatest in data sets and data that our business can uh, tap into. Uh, or it's the, the techniques, you know, around machine learning and other things that maybe we have not been able to apply at scale. In the, in the, uh, or it could be things related to legacy, right, that they are, you're going to have to overcome. So I think it's those two, generally two prongs that I typically think about. It, it, it is... You know, grounding yourself in business value use cases and and being able to get go after some wins as you start to think about modern architecture, modernization of your uh, platforms and infrastructure, uh, and 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 of course, you know, growing new muscles through some of these technology triggers that are behind all the wins that we see around around us, right? Whether it was. 3G at some point that helped Apple launch an iPhone, or it was. Uh, you know, mobile device, you know, uh, evolution and revolution that came through afterwards, or if it was the cloud scale that is now, of course, giving opportunity to be able to build the next set of uh, capabilities that we have not been able to in the past, right? So, yeah, you know, just in your last three companies, if you think about Deer, GE, Travelers, three very large companies, very, very different businesses, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, correct, in many different respects. Are there some consistencies you've seen in terms of the kind of issues that you're that you've run into that even though these businesses are very different you say you know there's this common this commonality that uh, that that is just something that large businesses are going to have to deal with when it comes to scaling their data analytics programs yeah you're you're right i mean i think you know each one of these companies 100 plus year old companies right have uh, done really really well and thriving and surviving right in in, in terms of uh their future um, I, but to your point, some of the, the, the barriers and inhibitors and, and challenges that you've got to overcome, um, and, you know, which kind of alluded to in the second prong of the, the overall stretch strategy, right, that you've got to think about. I mean, it's, it's no different than things like legacy systems, right? How, how do you overcome the challenges around some of your core uh, platforms and systems that may have been around for decades in some cases, right? You know, how, how do you work around those? How do you uh, connect well into them, right? Because that's where the scale is going to come from as you start to build some of these new capabilities and new DNA uh, in your systems and your organization, right? 
uh, is be able to address things around technical debt, maybe in some of these systems, right? Um, you know, think the other area that typically you got to think about, which is the change acceleration, right? How do you get more and more people excited? How do you build momentum around uh, the early wins that you may have, right? So, so I think, um, you know, the, that is another consistent thread, uh, threat. Um, I would say the second, uh, I mean, I may have third area that, that really you got to think about is, you know, gaining scale. What would that look like, right? And, and, and as you get through your first few wins, you know, I, I know typically you end up spending, you know, disproportionate amount of time trying to get those to be a success. But then really it's about getting the broader organization excited, people around you excited and, and say, hey, that's the only way you're going to be able to gain scale is that it's not the tiger teams that you assemble at the beginning of something. Right. It's, it's, it's really the, the broader organization that got a realized opportunity and 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 of course buy into the vision and the the. Um, you know, the overall uh, program that you may be building, right? And, and of course, then, you know, that that's where you get to a tipping point, right? The proverbial tipping point uh, after you've got the, you know, kind of 50% buy-in and, and, and you know, then you let the, the wind speak. And, you know, um, uh, I would say, <laughs> yeah, envy is alive and well, and you leverage that <laughs> to get other people excited about it. And, and uh, you know, you focus on the ones that want to work with you and get those early wins done. And of course, uh, um, you know, let the, the success speak for itself. You know, you, you've mentioned scale a couple of times. And, you know, to me, that ties to one thing you've been involved in, you've already alluded to it once or twice, was really some of the early days of of IoT, you know, uh, sensor analysis. And I think that's uh, both sounds like academically and then, of course, at, at uh, Deere sensors are, are a big part of it. So how have you seen IoT come into its own and, and the analytics around IoT evolve from the early days when really no one knew how to do anything with that data? And it was actually, I think, for most companies, too much to even fathom store. And you mentioned billions or hundreds of billions of records, right? I think, you know, today, obviously, companies can actually ingest and manage that type of data wasn't true right. 20 years ago. So what, right. how have you seen that? And, and what are you most excited about the area of IoT these days? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot has changed since the early days of, of what I was referring to, right, as as we launched at, at, when I was at Deere, our, 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 some of our telematics uh, capabilities on, our, on the machines, right? I mean, I remember even something basic as in realizing that, oh, my God, you know, TCPIP, which we all take for granted, right, when we are communicating, just does not work very well on its own uh, in 1.5 and 2G cellular networks in the rural areas, right? So, so we had to, in, in some ways, invent our UDP-based protocol to make this work, right? Uh, because of just the error rates that you get in those remote locations as you try to communicate with these machines. You know, things, of course, have changed since then. Now we've got, you know, uh, uh, pretty wide, of course, uh, uh, you know, 3G was, became available, you know, in the early days of P1 when we were doing that. Uh, then, of course, the LTE networks and, and, and now, of course, the 5G. But the rural areas are still struggling in some ways, but it's obviously a little better than our early versions of what we did at the, you know, 28 kilobit per second <laughs> uh, transmission speeds that we all we had. But to your point, of course, you know, the other thing that we hadn't done in the early versions of it, it wasn't on, built on cloud, right? I know they have transitioned to the cloud uh, since then. Uh, so, of course, now you've got the, uh, the scale of the cloud, the omnipresence of the cloud right across the globe, be able to tap into, you know, to your point, now you've got more and more uh, real-time analytics, right? A lot of this data 
uh, doesn't have to go back to the cloud, right? In some ways you could do edge analytics on that uh, and be able to make some of the decisions uh, as things are happening, right? Versus having to go to the cloud. Um, so, so I think streaming data, some of the underlying technologies like Kafka and other things that had really given us a, a, a you know infinite scale uh, from a story I mean, from a uh, streaming perspective and then storage perspective in the cloud right I think those are making a, a, a lot of difference of course within even now uh, my new business here at travelers right a lot of you know things that we're leveraging right for some of our IntelliDrive products and uh, that you know stream data uh, to us right and be able to then use that to further segment uh, driving behaviors and whatnot. So I think you know these things are starting to, of course, really open up the the, the possibilities for uh, us to be able to tap in and leverage uh, you know some of the advances to improve uh, IoT over time. So you know, uh, one thing I like to ask folks about is everyone has some unique talents that help them succeed. If you look back at your career and how you've gotten from uh, you know here to there, what a trade or two of yours that you think have really helped you uh, get to where you've uh, gotten? Yeah, yeah. I would say that, you know, it's kind of some of your things that you need through your career, right? In, in some ways, changes over time. Uh, I would say as long as, you know, you've got to start with, of course, staying grounded in some core values, right, that you may believe in. And for me, it's really around just honesty, equity, respect, compassion, right? Those are things that, you know, kind of build with you as you're growing up uh, and, and, and they sometimes don't change right for you <laughs> as far as who you are. Uh, but then on top of it, you know, you, you've got to then start to make sure typically in early parts of my career, it was all about just making sure you've got strong technical skills, right? You know, whether it was engineering, architecture, um, you know, data sciences or whatever it may have been that is helping you kind of build the best solution or product, you know, for your stakeholders, right? Uh, but then I think as you grow over time and you realize that as you go through the, your career progression, that, you know, the requirement for what you bring to the table uh, and, and things that help you succeed kind of changes, right? And, and of course, you get into leadership positions and you start to realize that, you know, your technical skills uh, can only help you so far. <laughs> you know, you're not building a writing code or you better not be right once uh, if you're leading a thousand plus personal organization, uh, but that's where other things that come in that you've got to develop and rely on, which is being able to, you know, build and uh, communicate a clear vision and strategy, you know, being able to set uh, the culture and the tone for the organization, uh, you know, being able to build support and alignment through leadership ranks for your, uh, you know, for your teams and for your agendas, right? Um, and of course, making sure that you've got the right team and the operating structure that exists so I think, you know, that, that of course, is, is kind of what you do. Um, you know, again, some of it, it goes back to who you are as well. And I think that's where, from a personal standpoint, you know, I pride myself being able to have that strong sense of intellectual curiosity that has helped me, you know, over the years, right? And, and maintaining that, uh, being able to ask those why questions on a regular basis, right, in terms of uh, being able to challenge the status quo and saying, hey, why couldn't we do it better, right, as we know, uh, human potential has no limit and and if we can you know channel it and energize the broader organization in a proper way uh you can move the mountain so to speak right uh and of course having lots and lots of empathy uh you know for those around you and the the teams that uh work 
uh, with you, right? And, and being able to drive collaboration, create trusting relationships. Um, and lastly, I would say that, you know, just making sure that you don't get too comfortable for too long, right? As a leader, if you're leading an organization, you better always be in the uncomfortable position and on the edge, right? Uh, because if you're comfortable, guess what's going to happen to the rest of the organization, right? So I think it's just keeping yourself motivated and energized about what you're uh, taking on, what you're doing, and, and bringing that energy and passion and, you know, letting that infect into the broader organization. So That's some great in- insight. So taking that to a, from a different perspective, if you're a student or, or let's say very early in your career mm-hmm. and you know, you're thinking about what do I need to do to succeed in the world of data analytics today, right? I want to come into travelers. I want to have a career. What are some of the things that you think that, that, that students and, and early career folks need to be doing today to set themselves up to be where you are 20 years from now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that, you know, uh, besides all the technical knowledge and things that you ought to be building and growing right uh, through your education, I think that maybe I'll keep it pretty simple and basic. I mean, being able to effectively communicate to your audience, being able to tell the story, being able to sell, because you know, in some ways, you know, every presentation, every conversation, you're doing some kind of a selling, right? You know, make sure you get good at that, and and, and you know, through training, through learning, through education, through help, whatever it's needed, right? Especially for some of those that are more introverts, right? In some cases, that you you may not naturally be able to do that. So I think, you know, having that, uh, uh, you know, training early on in your in your career and your development uh, would be better and help you serve you better, right, to grow your career over time. Um, so, so I think, you know, I've gone through it in numerous forms and shapes and fashion right over the, the course of the dec- two decades plus that I've been in the field. Uh, but I think, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll keep it to that basic, <laughs> you know, get yourself enrolled in some of those uh, courses in addition to uh, building your technical know-how. So. You know, I know one thing that uh, you've been pursuing in, in various ways at, at Travelers, but it's an overall industry trend as well, is, is the rise of, of AI. So, mm-hmm. you know, handful of years ago, very few true examples of success in business um, outside of a few you know, companies doing some niche, thing, niche mm-hmm. things, whereas today it's becoming a very common thing. What, what are some of the roles you're seeing AI start to play in business today that's actually real and that, uh, that, that's having an impact? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe just stepping back on that, I would say just, you know, first of all, we got to look around us, right? And, and take inspiration for what's happening in the, the companies that are truly digital, right? Uh, born digital in some ways, right? Uh, and how AI is impacting our daily life, you know, from a personal standpoint, whether it's, you know, doing a query on Google search, uh, everything, you know, that goes along with it. And, and, and you see yourself more and more not speaking your queries, right? And, and Google, of course, is, I would say, you know, uh, almost 100%. It never misses a beat, right? When you talk to the Google search app, right? I don't know if you experienced that or not, but I typically just now speak my queries, right? Uh, because it's gotten so good at, um, or be able to look at companies like, you know, uh, completely digital businesses uh, like uh, Facebook, uh, who, you know, where you're getting content served to you in, in real time, you know, based on your likes and your profile, or, you know, Uber, right, which everything is run by AI. I mean, from the time you engage with a 
uh, you know, where, where you want to go to a you know a destination and search for a, a car available, to pricing, to route it will take. Everything that goes along with it is basically being run by analytical models and AI in the background, right? Um, so, so I think, uh, and of course, you know, uh, as the power of AI gets better, we're we're starting to see how you've got better AI trumping old AI, right? And that's what happened to TikTok versus Facebook. You know, better AI won out and and, and in a dramatic way has gained popularity and, and uh, followership and users, right, away from at the expense of Facebook in some cases, right, uh, which we saw, of course, as a leader up until recently <laughs> in some ways. So so I think, uh, you know, if we take our inspiration from that and then say, okay, how do we apply that to, you know, the traditional businesses, right? What does that look like? And, how, you know, where would we uh, look at assisting the frontline work that I mentioned earlier, being able to build advisory tools that help, you know, uh, our frontline workers decide next best action, right, as they're interacting on, on a customer or an agent or, uh, you know, whoever they may be interacting with, um, and be able to do uh, things at scale, right? Uh, you know, the, of course, you know, there's an example uh, that we have shared externally on on some of that, um, you know, that that's happening at Travelers even, right, uh, where We've got AI models now that basically process imagery that comes to us after a catastrophe event. I mean, a, a tornado or a wildfire goes through uh, an area, you know, almost the same day, we get high resolution imagery from there. And, and, and we have AI models trained to understand the damage that may have happened, where it happened, which properties of our were damaged, right, to what extent. Uh, and that all happens within 60 minutes after we get the high resolution imagery. So by the time next day, when our claim handlers come in and uh, you know our field uh, adjusters have to be uh, deployed into the field, right? We know exactly where the damage was, which parcels or properties were damaged to what extent. And as customers call in, in some cases, they may not even had a chance to go back into their neighborhoods, right? If they're smoldering fires, uh, but our AI models have already run at night and we know what has happened and we can guide them and, and in some cases even start the, uh, the, the, the payouts on their properties, right? If they've been completely damaged or burned down. So I think, you know, we're already, of course, seeing in, an impact from things like this, right? Being able to apply these to our business uh, and be able to make our customers, uh, you know, life better in those uh, hard, uh, hard times, right? Um, so I think, you know, generally, I would say for broadly, from a business perspective, we're just scratching the surface, you know, in terms of other opportunities that we've got, and we've got many in works. Uh, I do think that in some ways, you know, people sometimes get concerned that maybe we're automating jobs or we're automating things that, you know, humans should be doing right. But I think what we... Um, what we forget sometimes that this isn't about mimicking human behaviors and judgment. Uh, this is about automating tasks that humans maybe don't want to do or can't be done by humans, right? In some ways, you know, I don't think there's anybody who wants to look at, you know, images of hundred thousand properties, you know, uh, in a, in a given night, much less than one hour, and be able to categorize the damage. Nor would we want anybody to do that. So it's about you know automating things that you know. Uh, can be done at scale uh, much better than humans could do um, and, and being able to apply that to make our customers' lives better, right, and make our business better. So, so I think it's, it's, it's really about thinking more broadly to say, hey, 
th this isn't about automating anybody's job. This isn't about automating uh, things that where humans play a great role in. This is more about augmenting and, and how do we assist and how do we do things at scale that uh, potentially you know cannot be done by the, the workers, right? So. I love that example, by the way, of the, the images of the disasters, because you think back not too long ago, if a tornado hit my house, I'm probably stressed for a couple of days, to your point, before I can even get in there and know what's wrong. Then it could be days to weeks before anybody from your company could have come out and physically inspected it. All that time, I'm nervous, I'm stressed, whereas today, before I can even get in there and worry about it, I might already have an email saying, hey, we've got the photo. Exactly. You know, We've got an initial estimate. We'll send you a check to get started with the cleanup, and then we'll have an adjuster come out eventually to make sure it's accurate. But the mm -hmm. impact, you know, this gets back to it's not just the business impact, but that could be good for your business. But the customer, me, as a as someone who has a disaster, that's mm -hmm. an example of, of, of these kind of analytics really impacting my not just my experience with a company, but my life. I mean, that that takes what should totally be agree. a massively stressful event and at yep. least takes it down a notch on an area of it that's normally totally agree super stressful. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I appreciate uh, your time today. I, I, I know we've kept you probably long enough, but I, I thank you so much for your insights. And I always enjoy talking with you. And, and thanks so much for joining me today. It was great talking to you and catching up, Bill. Uh, you know, appreciate uh, me in being invited and having a great conversation here. Yeah.